right, Carol's going to come read our couple of verses from Amos this morning. Good morning. I'm reading out of Amos 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. got the wrong there is that switch always goes the wrong way if you have your bible and you want to turn to amos this is where we'll be for a few weeks and then we'll pick up with uh, the, the little prophet habakkuk and uh, we'll have a test at the end of that to see how if you know how to spell habakkuk work on pronunciation no we won't we really won't do that um so before uh, we we pray together um just a kind of a reiteration of what we just described with the children. You know, there are some things along the way that we encounter in uh, the history of God in the Old Testament that sometimes we're scratching our heads and we're wondering how do we make sense of this picture in light of that picture. And, and really what we really hope to do is we work through Amos for the next few weeks that, that we get some of those. We get some of those moments where we can say, Ooh, this sounds a lot like something over here, and it may dawn on us in a way that it hasn't before. That doesn't mean that I'm promising to tell you something you've never heard before. That, that would, I think it's the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. So if you're expecting the preacher to come up with some novel concept, it's not happening. But I think they've all been exhausted. So, would you pray with me? Lord God, in our hope to always give your good news word to the world, we sometimes need to hear how we are not offering good news at all. We need to hear your words that Amos described as a roaring lion today. We need your warnings today, just as the nations and Israel needed them then. So by your Spirit, correct us, that your church may have a word, your word, to give to the world. Lord, may what is heard today be truth and only truth, and all God's people say. There are certain noises that give us a chill. Now, I'm certain that this particular experience I'm going to describe is, is not just um, acute to one uh, Hollywood movie that I have called to mind that this event happened, but, but Sam Gerard, a, a U.S. Marshal, is accompanying a, a group of inmates, uh, transporting them to a new prison. They're taking a plane, and, and one of the inmates is given the task of assassinating another inmate. And so he's got a makeshift gun that he pulls out from inside the roll, the toilet paper roll in the airplane bathroom, and he cocks the little pin. And as he walks by, he takes aim at one of the uh, inmates who now suspects something's going on. You know this is Hollywood, right? 
and he hits his arm, the bullet flies through the fuselage of the plane, bursts the hole open, and all of a sudden, a guy gets ripped off of his seat and out the window. Things start flying. Everybody's holding on for dear life. And we're like, whew, I'm glad that only happens in the movies. And then late Friday night, Late Friday night, an Alaska airline liner takes off, isn't uh, far on its way, and this piece that has been covered that is normally or possibly in some configurations the door pops off. I mean, if you've seen the pictures, it literally looks like the door popped off. And in reading the story, uh, a young boy's shirt is completely shredded off his body because of, of what happens in the depressurized cabin and the, the howling wind and his mom's holding on to him. And I can just see it holding on, hoping he doesn't get sucked out of the cabin of the plane. I'm pretty sure that you will now not sit next to the uh, exit window on your plane. But to think about it, if you have ever seen a, a movie where they portrayed what happens, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a chilling experience. I mean, everything's rushing toward that opened hole and this roaring wind, and you're just like, who? maybe we should take a car next time. And <laughs> every Saturday at noon, you hear, we hear these chilling sirens, and, and, and if we if we're kind of know what time it is, we kind of brace ourselves for it, right? But sometimes you're out, and you're just kind of doing your thing, and you're working in the yard maybe, or, or you've got a project going, and all of a sudden, that thing fires up, and if you're close, it's loud. It's shrill, and immediately you go, oh, it's only a test, but... When you hear that sound on any other day but noon on Saturdays, you immediately think to those visions you've seen where a tornado or a terrible storm or something else that might be coming our way has caused and wreaked terrible havoc. And we've all seen the aftermath of what that looks like. So we hear that shrill. We're like, okay, we better take our precautions. Just a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you saw the little video circulating around. It was on the news. A jaguar attempted to escape its enclosure in a zoo in Brazil. I mean, it got up close. Now, I need to tell you that an escaped jaguar, and it didn't, but it, had, it escaped from the zoo in Brazil. That's not far enough away. Not far enough away. I mean, none of us want to be pursued by a big cat. I mean, we are pretty close to Tiger Safari and the Tiger King. Well, no, maybe not the Tiger King anymore so much, but none of us want to be out working the flower beds and hear the roar of a lion. None of us. When when the residents of Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab and Judah and Israel heard Amos' words, Amos said, the Lord roars. And his intent is to say that when you hear the word of the Lord, every vertebrae in your spine bristles a little bit. It's a, it's a shiver sent down the back. And this is what he said. Carolyn read, the Lord roars from Zion. And then if we look at the bracketed end of that over in chapter 3, 
we get a little bit more clarity of the picture that's being painted. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Now, if you'll just allow me real quickly, this is a technical thing, but it's important in reading some of these Old Testament passages. So this is over in chapter 3, verse number 8. If you wanted to glance over there, that would be okay. Or you can trust that I'm telling you what's there. I, I just read it. But there are two sentences, if you will, two lines. And, and so in the first line, the lion has roared, who will not fear, is a natural draw to say, if you hear the roar of a lion, you're probably going to be paying attention. And, and fortunately, we don't live in an environment where we hear that all the time, but there are places that that is the case. And so if you hear the lion roar, you fear. Then the second line, the second sentence is the Lord God has spoken. So the way Hebrew poetry works is this first line is says a thing, and the second line either amplifies it or explains it or extends the idea. So really what's being said there is God has spoken like a roaring lion. And if we hear that, it's intended to say you should pay attention. It's like, pay attention and stay away from the hole in the cabin of the, fuse, uh, the, the, the cabin of the plane. It's like, hey, pay attention because the sirens have gone off. It's pay attention because if you've, as you've traveled anywhere in the region and you hear a lion roar, you need to be on alert. Amos is trying to get the people's attention, and he does so by saying that the words that God has given him to share ought to cause us to shiver. So whatever in your own mind gives you that chill when you hear it, maybe your fingernails on a chalkboard, whatever gives you a cheer, chill, cheer, chill, it's to be heard as pay attention or a warning so Amos is given this task, he's given this assignment, and, and, and his assignment is to warn uh, the nations around um, the southern part of Israel, and then particularly the, what we call the northern kingdom. So I, I think we need to pause long enough to say that when we come across these passages in the Bible where it sounds like God is warning us, we need not think about modern road rage. So this isn't like this, a divine event where someone has cut God off in traffic and he's blowing his horn. I see the smiles on your faces. I know you. I know me. Who, who, I mean, you know that sudden emotion that wells up and you said, how dare they do something like that? That's not what this is describing. This warning is not to say that God is some petulant child or driver who is suddenly unnerved by the surrounding events on the roadway and decides, I am going to get even with someone. When we come to passages like this, what we need to hear is that God has expressed mercy upon mercy, mercy after mercy, until he's finally to the place of saying, hey, if I let you continue in this way, it's only going to be worse for you. 
Now, that doesn't mean in some way that God is saying, hey, I'm going to make it worse for you. Remember, we have from time to time describe the fact that in Genesis, it is pretty clear that when God says, if you eat of this tree, this is going to happen, it doesn't necessarily indicate that God is going to concoct some sort of judgment. It is a way of saying, here are the consequences of choosing in your own best interest, where you're not choosing in the way that God wants you to choose, a a way that brings flourishing and hope and the, the kind of life that you're longing for. We sometimes interpret these moments through the lens where what we're here or what we're led to hear is that God's just waiting to get you. And that's not what all's described here. God has let Israel and these nations go on and on and on, choosing against their own best interests over and over and over again. He's worked with them. He sent people to talk to them. He's given events where he says, listen, I'm still here with you. And repeatedly, repeatedly, people even named as God's people have failed to hear. And if they keep on going that way, it's just going to get worse. So God's making a decision in a different direction. In other words, God's saying, listen, if I keep extending mercy, if I keep giving you grace, if I keep just letting this go, it's just going to be worse for you. Because you're never going to arrive at the place where you make the best decision for your neighbor, much less yourself. So we've got to change direction. So that's how we should hear these words of warning. Because there are many critics of Christianity who who don't care for these references to God's justice or God's righteousness. But, But I really think if we're honest, it's because we're just short on mercy ourselves. We, we, we just, we've not, we've not waited until the 50th person has cut us off in traffic. It's that first one that stirs us. We've we've not decided, you know, we should forgive that person 70 times 7. It's you get one, fool me once, do it again. Yeah, we don't give... We don't have a lot of mercy. So in our lack of mercy, when we hear uh, uh, it described that God is just and God is righteous and, and, and God may bring some consequences to light for us, we, we immediately superimpose or project, project onto God our impulsiveness. And we fail to hear that God has been long-suffering in love. He's taken a long, long time. He's got a long, long fuse. And he's not so worried about himself, but he's worried about us. God's not worried about himself. He's worried about you. He's worried about me. And so he's concerned that if he lets us continue to go our own way, it's something is going to happen to us, not something happening to God. And so we need to be careful how we project onto God when we're the folks who are, remember, fickle, feckless, and faithless. Continuing to do nothing is worse. So God really, really is once again telling us that in this message he gives Amos to give the people, I want it to go well with you. I want you to flourish. I want you to be at peace. I want you to enjoy all that I could possibly give you. I want you, I want the best for you. 
And so Amos, because of the circumstances, doesn't present God to the people in a still, small voice. But as a roaring lion. Now, I have to tell you that in, in reading this over, I, I, I'm, I'm of, a, of a generation growing up in youth group where rightly um, our impulsiveness would lead us to make some very bad decisions for ourselves. So, uh, and, and our youth leaders knew us way too well. So we learned early that there's this verse in 1 Peter. The apostle Peter says it this way, the devil roams around, you could finish it, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So if that's been ingrained in your experience, like it has mine, to read that God is roaring like a lion was a bit dissonant. It was it was. It was startling to me. I only thought that lions in that particular format were referencing an adversary. I never imagined that a roaring lion would be an ally looking out for my well-being. So I did what sometimes we do. I decided, I wonder how many times lion shows up in the Bible. And so I've got a little program that helps me out, and I tested it. And in my particular translation, the word lion shows up some 79 times. 79 times. I mean, who knew, right? I mean, I don't pay particular attention to how many times lion shows up. I was already told the one place I need to pay attention to. The devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I made some discoveries along the way. I, I found out that, that in the context of a variety of different stories and settings, lion took on a variety. In fact, lion becomes a very versatile word in the Bible. One of the first times is in Genesis when Jacob is blessing his children and he comes to Judah and he says, Judah is a lion's whelp, kind of that groan you hear. I kind of picture when you've been to the zoo and you hear a groaning lion, please feed him and not me. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouched down. He stretches out like a lion, like a lioness who dares rouse him up. Samson, we read, kills a lion with his bare hands, and the second time he passes by the lion's carcass, who knew? There was honey there. David is telling King Saul that in preparation to take down the giant Goliath, he tells him, hey, I've been tending my dad's sheep, and any time a, a bear or a lion comes out, I've been able to defeat that lion with my bare hands. I hadn't heard, really, or don't remember reading about Benaiah. Do you? Trivia? If you have Bible pursuit questions, you know. Trivia, Benaiah is described in the Bible as a valiant warrior who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Mark Batterson wrote a book by that title. I'm assuming he had discovered Benaiah and thought, well, I wonder if we could turn that into a book. And he did. Job 
in Job's telling of his experience, his encounter, his difficulties facing, he makes God out to be a lion that hunts him. So now, now for Job, God is like a, a lion and he is the prey. The psalmists, the songwriters, they often refer to God's enemies as lions. The prophets, uh, uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, they see the prevailing superpowers in the world at the time, and, and one of them, they give the face of a lion. That's repeated in the book of Revelation. When... Um, you, you get to Isaiah. Isaiah considers that God's actions for his people are a lion preparing to defeat his enemies. Isaiah points to the future peace that Israel will experience as a lion eating straw like an ox. God, through the prophet, even likens his own self to a lion, both in judgment and in protection. Israel, the people of God, are likened to a lion who's going to defend herself. And finally, aside from the Apostle Peter, we find lion used three times in the Revelation. The first instance, as I mentioned, is a callback to the prophets where one of those prevailing superpowers had the face of a lion. The second is to be received by the hearers of the Revelation as a word of encouragement. When no one was found worthy to open the scroll that was sealed with seven seals, uh, there was great weeping until until someone said to John in in that moment, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And the last time? The last time that lion is used in... Revelation in the entire New Testament is in Revelation, Revelation chapter 10. And there's this vision of a mighty angel with, with one foot in the sea and one foot on the ground. And he uh, makes some declarations and announcements. And then we get this. He gave a great shout like a roaring lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders shouted I mean, the word picture, this analogy, this metaphor of a lion is versatile in the Bible. So when Amos gives the words of the Lord, he gives a word to be heard. Hear me. He gives a word to be heard that gives us a shiver about the future. Because as a prophet, his assignment is to tell foretell. Now, we don't use that word. That's not something common to us. We think a prophet and we think someone is going to foretell the future. And certainly, there are some times where that's the case. If you look in all of the prophets, that is all of them in the Old Testament, about 10% of the time are the prophets telling something that's going to happen. That is future telling, if you will. Most of the time, it's foretelling, which goes like this. God said to this group of people. And so most of the time, the prophet is representing God to the people. Here's what God says to you. Now, there is a future that is promised. Now, you have to wait all the way till the end of, the, of chapter 9 before you get it. There is no you know, hope until the very end. It's just sometimes the way the prophets work. But at the very end, we get this. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Now, this is after. 
after Amos has started with a group of nations around Israel and he's narrowed his target to his own people. Now, I, I think it's important, and I'm not sure exactly how to kind of work this out, but I think it's important that we hear these words today not as some sort of word for another group of people, but we hear these words today in our setting that Amos is talking to God's people. So if you count yourself among God's people, then we need to hear what Amos says in warnings. So he has words and he has visions, so we need to hear that. Now, i, I got to tell you, it's a little bit tenuous. I, I was talking to a, a pastor friend and and uh, we were talking about what series we were going to start. And I said, well, I'm going to preach to Amos. He said, man, you're brave. And I'm like, well, I just had to remind folks, don't shoot the messenger. You see, and, and by the way, that's not a cloak, so I can say anything that I want to and just tell you, hey, you've got to take it up with the, with the Bible or take it up with God. I'm just saying that the target audience for us today is God's people. That was the target audience. It really wasn't so much about Ammon or Moab or Tyre or Damascus, though they were included, the point Amos is trying to get to is God's people ought to represent God in a particular way, and they weren't. And so there's warnings that if you keep going that way, not only are you going to suffer the consequences, but the world around you is never going to see the sort of relationship God desires with all people. If there's no illustration at work in our lives, then nobody's going to know what peace is supposed to look like. Nobody is going to have any idea what flourishing is supposed to sound like when we talk about it. We are going to need to hear these words as words of warning and judgment that we need to hear. The late, the late Robert Jensen was, was writing about the, the reality that the Spirit of God inhabits God's people. And he always had to face the question about, well, what happens when God's church kind of fails in its venture? And he said, well, because the Spirit's present, God is going to be a self-correcting agent. That is, God is going to be at work to correct the work of his people so that they will return and be wooed to faithfulness. So that may be what happens to us. Maybe to all of us, maybe to some of us, maybe to none of us. Who knows? It did these words did fall, it seems, on some deaf ears in Amos's day. But nonetheless, we ought to be paying attention because there is a world who really needs a good news word. There is a world that needs to hear that there is a God not waiting to sabotage their life, but to give them life abundant. And, and if we keep offering them miscues of what that looks like, then they'll have no, no possible vision of what they could possibly encounter or expect along the way. Something interesting as we finish up here. When, when what we need more than anything else is to recognize that Amos wasn't giving Amos's ideas. Amos hadn't scratched out while he was breeding sheep and goats so that he could sell them to those who had herds. Amos wasn't sitting on the, in the south country known as Judah thinking, man, my relatives up there on the north country, man, they are really messed up. I need a word for them. 
he didn't leave Tekoa thinking, hey, I need to migrate north and see if I can't spoil all their fun. He heard God give him some words to say, listen, here's something you need to hear. So Amos was not giving his words, he was giving God's words. So here's the key. Amos is giving God's words as though they are a roaring lion. They're God's words. So we need to remember who's doing the roaring. So no, make no mistake in these weeks ahead, the pastor's not roaring. That's just saying, hey, here's the roaring that went on. Here's the way God roared in warning and judgment. And we all, me included, we all need to hear those words so that we are continually wooed to faithfulness to give the world God's good news. But here's the connection. So when I was chasing down how many times lion was used in the Bible, and it dawned on me after reading that moment in Revelation chapter 10, or chapter 5, that the lion of the tribe of Judah... So if you go back and you read Jacob's words to his sons, his final blessing, he goes after Reuben and says, he is, um, what I, I wrote it down here. He said, Reuben is as unstable as water. And that's, that's giving it to your firstborn, isn't it? Go, son. You are as unstable as water. His next two sons, Simeon and Levi, I think if we put it in modern parlance, they were the road rage brothers. They were cursed because of their quick anger. And then you get to Judah. Judah, the fourth son in the line, and he's the one who is described as the lion's groan, the lion's whelp. And here's this line. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Now you and I read that and think, well, we're reading that Old Testament. That's a throwaway line. But, but for what Jacob was talking about is God's king is going to come from the tribe of Judah. God's salvation, God's victory, God's righteousness is going to come from Judah. Jesse came from Judah Jesus came from Jesse. Jesus is the one who's roaring. Who's roaring? Jesus is roaring if it's what it takes to get your attention and mind to say, man, I have a way better way in the world for you. I have a way better word in the world for you. So I pledge that the best to our ability and my attempt to focus is we will always be making this about what God is telling us about Jesus. After all, these things are showing up before Jesus utters his woes to the religious leaders in the New Testament. These, these words are showing up that this is what God is going to do centuries before Jesus puts it on display. But what he puts on display is nothing short of the call that Amos gives here. Because in the end, what Amos is targeting is repentance. I'm hoping in giving these warnings and judgment that you turn around and go a different direction. That you hear these warnings, not so that you can say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to experience. But instead, 
we hear these words and say, ooh, I better turn around. I better think differently about how the world works. I better think differently about how God works. I better think differently about the way God loves me. I better think different. So we'll focus on this lion of the tribe of Judah, even as we hear from the shepherd from Tekoa, the one who transgresses a geographic boundary to give a word of warning and judgment in hopes that God's people will stand up and be just that, God's people. But before we get to that hope in the future, we'll have to travel through Amos's words that sound an awful lot like a decompressing cabin, a, 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 a test siren on Saturdays, or, God forbid, a roaring lion in your backyard. Would you pray with me?